1: Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender.
2: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. Before I introduce our guest, Yoshiko, wherever you are right now, greetings to you. You are a champion. I'm talking about Yoshiko Dart, uh, who, as you know, is and was was married to Justin Dart, who passed away several years ago. But it's as if she still is, because his spirit is alive, and she's done so much for the disability community, so special greetings out to her. And today, we are so excited to have as our guest a member of the Delaware House of Representatives from that great state of Delaware who we've been reading so much about with the leadership of Governor Jack Markell. So, Representative Quentin Johnson, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Joyce. It's an honor for me to be on the show for you today.
2: Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And I wanted to know, since many of our listeners may not know you, if we could begin by you telling your listeners about your background prior to becoming a
1: statesman. Sure, sure. Well, I'm actually originally from Maryland and uh, grew up in a very rural area. Um actually in a time in an area where actually my encounter with uh, individuals with disabilities was very rare uh, and you hardly ever had any, if any at all, interaction um, with say fellow students within our school system. Um, I grew up in in the Salisbury Marin area, went to college, graduated, economy was kind of tough so therefore I had to move around to find a job. I was actually already uh, married and had my first daughter at that time so my feet landed in Delaware where I was working actually with an insurance company, and we, uh, my wife and I, uh, set out on a path to see how we could, one, be involved more in our own children's lives as we started our family and we looked into and actually started a child care facility and actually have grown that, and I'm still very involved in that aspect uh, over the years, but we were dealing with uh, um, young children, uh, infants through school age. And uh, as my family uh, grew, um, I actually have two daughters, and my son, the youngest, who is now 18, uh, was born deaf. Um, and that uh, experience was my first uh, ever interaction uh, with a with a deaf individual. And of course, I had a lot a lot to learn. Um, and we jumped in with uh, both feet first, and just kind of learned all about what we could do. Um, and as a result, as he was growing through those preschool years, so to speak. Um, We actually wanted to try, and we did, um, do a lot with other uh, young children uh, with disabilities in our uh, child care facility setting. And so with that, that kind of is my experience um, that we had in getting involved uh, prior to. We still, our our Delaware legislator is a part-time, as they say, although I joke I'm I'm still waiting for the part-time hours to kick in, but it's a part-time legislator where we still have to maintain our day job so I'm still very much in that early childhood education aspect. So that's a little bit about my background.
2: Well, yeah, that is that is unbelievable. Uh, the path that you've taken. So the question for many of our listeners is so why did you decide to run for office?
1: Sure. Well, as I said, my son uh, born opened uh, our lives open to a lot of the the challenges, um, and as we first, with the child, um, he was and is profoundly deaf. We of course had to set out on the path to actually learn another language. Uh, we had to learn American Sign Language. Uh, we got him involved in the um, local state deaf school in in an early stage, um, although it wasn't until about a year old um, that we actually were able to identify that he was in fact uh, deaf, because it was pre Uh, newborn screening uh, when he was born, so there was no screening test that was done at the hospital, Um, and it took us um, months and months of going to doctors, um, explaining that we felt something was wrong, to have them, of course, tell us, no, he's fine, Um, to finally going to the high-tech world of pots and pans while he was asleep uh, to say, yes, there's definitely an issue. And uh once we got past that, you know, again at a year old, we then had to immerse ourselves a lot into um, you know, what what was gonna be in store for us as parents, what was gonna be in store for him, um, what could we expect, you know, all those types of things. And and we had a great experience in the very beginning with the early childhood portion of the program. Um but I will say this that we were uh naive in thinking that the education system was supposed to be there for us. And when we were uh, progressing along that, that path of his educational experience, we actually uh, got, unfortunately, um, the hard lesson that, in fact, they really weren't there for us. That, in turn, when it came down to our expectations of what we wanted for our child, we found that they actually worked against us. And uh, we ultimately, and I'm sure we'll get more in detail ended up having to go through a whole bunch of uh, due process uh, battles, court battles, things of that sort to get the education that he deserved. And ultimately, to be on. a short answer to the long dissertation is that I was angry. I was upset to see see that this is what was happening not just to my child, but I'd learned that it was happening to many, many parents. And so the system tried to build a wall that we couldn't uh, overcome, and we wouldn't let it so we decided that uh, and i say we my wife and i that we were going to get ever more involved and get into positions where we can actually make a difference help make decisions and and try to uh, set the path on a different course
2: Well, isn't that something i was angry that no one would hire people with disabilities and the result is vendor consulting services mm-hmm. it's amazing how those things happen um, but i had a couple questions for you first when you realized, what is your son's name?
1: His name is Quentin.
2: Quentin. When you realized that Quentin uh, was deaf, how did how did you feel? How did that impact you and your
1: wife? Well, it was mm, it was challenging. It was uh, something that, uh, as I mentioned, because of my um, lack of knowledge um, and interaction uh, with uh, deaf individuals. Um, I didn't know what to expect. So, of course, my first reaction was that, you know, I was sad. I wanted him to be hearing. I wanted to explore those options that I think most parents um, that are hearing that have uh, deaf children uh, do do. And I really didn't know much about the actual deaf culture or or deaf identity. Um, Now um, I certainly look at my son, and, and my son would clearly agree with that, in his mind, he's not disabled. Um, he just speaks a different language and he's able to navigate the world. And of course, the doors um, can be and should be completely open for all the opportunities. But in the very beginning, it was, there were tears, there was um, sadness, there was a lot of anxiety, uh, a lot of time spent on investigating, you know, where we're going to go from here. Um, and so it was, it was definitely not an easy, easy time.
2: Now, at what age did you, for him, how old was he when you learned sign language?
1: Well, we we started once we found out that he was, um, was deaf. We entered in, and this would have been, um, fortunately because of our early childhood background, we knew the importance of language development and the stages of brain development when that occurred. And so we knew that we had to immerse ourselves, you know, immediately into that. And we were fortunate that there was a, Parent Child Play group, as they called it then, at our uh, Delaware School for the Deaf that we got involved into and started to interact and started to you know get the videos, get the books get you know you name it, and we got it um, and so we started um, from that very moment uh, learning and, and trying to get acquainted
2: and may I say it isn 't easy
1: uh, it 's definitely not easy uh, I, I quickly learned the um, probably the the areas of my brain development that are a bit challenged at times and and certainly language and learning language at a later age in life uh, is not as easy as obviously it is for the young young children to to do so and it's still a struggle because it's a skill um, and again we're in an area that unfortunately the deaf community is very limited, so my opportunities to interact are are challenging and so you have to make it happen and so as a result you know even today after 18 years i would love to have my skills much better than what they are um but it is it's a constant ongoing process
2: oh it is and then you go through the whole thing of okay now i can sign but now i have to understand the person signing to me
1: yes and that's different i will say that i i it can deal very well with my own son, but once you know just like we have different you know dialects and and tones to our voices and even even uh slang words, um, that all exists within uh the the way that someone signs is different you know than my, the way my son does, and their hand gestures are slightly different, and so you know it's just as the same of trying to understand someone that's maybe from the south and north Boston, you know you name it, it's that type of an issue.
2: Yes, it is, and I know because we have, uh, and she's been here 15 years, a woman in our corporate office who is deaf, although we then have people out in the workforce who are deaf, but I know that that is not easy to learn. Uh, So, you know what, kudos to you that you were able to. Thank you. Yeah. Well, listen, when we come back, we're going to talk more to Representative Johnson And we're going to talk about that issue he had with school systems. But right now, you are listening to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender on voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with the representative.
0: News. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com.
3: Hi, I'm Greg Grumberg from the TV show Heroes.
1: A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: How do you know if you're living with an addict? If you think you know all the recognizable signs, you probably don't. If you're listening to and reading from the so-called experts, you probably don't. You need to hear from a parent, just like yourself, who has been there and can tell you what it's like firsthand. Please listen to Afflicted by Addiction with Bradley DeHaven Our program is heard every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It just might save your life or the life of someone you love. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
3: If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-472. 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joyce Spender.
2: Hey, welcome back to the show. And if you just joined us, we're talking to Representative Quinn Johnson from the state of Delaware. And earlier in the first segment of the show, uh, Representative, you were talking about the difficulty that you endured in the school system. I wonder if you could elaborate on that a little bit.
1: Sure. As as uh, we stated, we started out in an early uh, aspect, so his involvement with our local uh, School for the Deaf was started out that, that, uh, even earlier than three years of age, but they had a preschool program that he was enrolled in. And as he progressed, his language development uh, and academics were certainly progressing uh, at a satisfactory and acceptable rate. As we were moving through the grades, first, second, third, um, the school is, is very small um, and is just a product of being from a very small state, um, that the population uh, is minimal. And uh, therefore, as students uh, went into the higher grades, um, the aspect and probability of having to mainstream and go out into um, another school to be able to get the academic uh, uh, courses that couldn't be offered at the Delaware School for Deaf was something that was a path that that Quentin was definitely going towards. Um, However, what we saw was happening was that his reading level uh, was getting stagnant, and he was getting stuck um, at at a uh, fifth-grade reading level and not not progressing. Actually, it was lower than the fifth grade. He was at a third grade, but in the fifth grade. And so when we were talking, we were just kind of disappointed with the expectations because we would hear the comments that, well, you know most uh deaf individuals they only graduate with a seven or eighth grade reading level anyhow, so you know it's it's okay and it wasn't something that was acceptable for us
2: oh, that's so terrible
1: yeah it it's it's something that was frustrating. He had only a few children in his class um he was going to have to uh mainstream anyhow, so we then started to look and because of where we lived, we were a little bit of a distance away from the school um and so we we weren't in our local school district so we wanted to look at options so we went and looked at uh, the local schools that we had um but we also went and looked at a private school um that was literally maybe 2 miles away from the uh school that Quentin uh, would have attended um in the in the public arena and now keep in mind he went this was a transition of going from one class with seven children total in it at the at the School for the Deaf, um, maybe a total of uh, 150 students, if that, maximum for all grade levels throughout. Wow. To a middle school that would have been about 800 to, to 900 students in just uh, three grades, um, and, of course, in an environment where he would not have been around um, there wasn't a single other deaf child there, and in addition, um, he would have had classes or students that would not have stayed with him. He would have migrated through. The other option that we had was a private school that had only 30 kids in the entire grade, 15 per class. The class size was much more conducive to um, you know, a deaf environment and, and set up for the interpreter to be able to follow, plus the kids normally stayed and moved on. And so, and our, us as his parents, looking at what we felt was best for his education, we went to the, to the district and we stated that, okay, we feel that his placement is best at this private school. We understand the issues, the fact that it's private. You have already said that you would, of course, provide placement at him at the public school and provide the interpreter. What we will do is go ahead and pay the private tuition. We were fortunate enough to be able to have the means to do that. But we would like for you to be able to provide the interpreter, which you already agreed to. And our analysis of that was the fact that out-of-pocket expense would be no different, meaning that the district already said that, yes, we will pay for an interpreter. There were no other students that were going to be deaf in the entire school. Um, And so we thought that it was a pretty simple, easy question. The response that we got was no. Uh, and when we asked why, the response was, well, because we don't have to. Um, and so ultimately we decided that that was not going to be an acceptable answer. Um, we went through the due process uh, hearing process, which of course takes some time um, and extensive um, legwork. Um, We ultimately, in that, and of course we had to try to find an attorney, which there aren't very many in Delaware. We got many doors, I don't want to say closed in our face, but not very many firms would uh, even entertain the question because most all of them had some sort of relationship with a school district somewhere. And we we finally did find one attorney that was willing to take the case outside of our state, and ultimately the due process uh, provision actually prevailed, where they... Uh, panel said, you know what, we do agree that you just can't say no to say no. So we were going to award the interpreting uh, fees. We then. Wow. Uh, but it Love continues from there.
2: Yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to say because then the district appealed that decision. A district court judge overturned it. We then went to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals where they put a stay put provision in, and this process took approximately four years. From fifth grade to eighth grade, to where we finally got to a point where the he graduated from eighth grade um, was going to have to move to another school. That school, anyhow, and so ultimately it was ended up being. Well, we don't really have anything more to fight about. So, shall we call it truce? And uh, that that is what uh, ended the path of the fight.
2: How long of a time period are we talking about?
1: Uh, that was at least uh, four years. Uh, wow. It was when he was entering into the fifth grade, and we finally resolved it um, after the eighth. And all of that, um, of those types of things, actually predated me getting elected. Um, it wasn't that me as a state representative have had any influence over any of the case. The issue was that as a result of the case and a result of the, Issues, that's when I said all of this is the whole, the way the process worked, the information, and because of the, because we don't have enough time on this radio show to talk about the entire experience of the process, I just decided that I was going to do several pieces of legislation, which I did do, that would make the system much more, uh, fair, uh, for parents and their, and their children and make it to where they need to be much more involved and much more in in the say of placement for him, for, for their children.
2: Okay, you know, the first thing I'm thinking while you're talking. What's that? Imagine what happens to students that do not have parents to do all this. Yes. And do not have the wherewithal. This is why there are young people who are deaf that fall through the cracks of life, uh, just as they told you, oh, you'll never be, you know, beyond the seventh grade level, which is total baloney, because may I tell you, we have people that we've helped get employment that I hired and then got them on contract at another company, one of which is Michelle Halloran, who, by the way, went to the school you're talking, the college NTID, and she was named Employee of the Year by Career and Disabled Magazine, Mm -hmm. and she's a software developer. Now she's a project manager, but many people are in finance, accounting, uh, computers, and I have to tell you about one person I'm so proud of, Claudia Gordon, who is just this most beautiful, awesome individual, and now she is the personal assistant to President Obama and she is completely deaf yeah. at the White House. Yeah. I mean, so there that just says it all about what we're talking about. But as I said, what happens to people that don't have some, someone to advocate for them?
1: Yeah. And that was what was frustrating, too, because we were fortunate because, again, we did have some means because there were times in which we were required to, through that, that uh, process, to actually have to pay for the interpreter ourselves. Um, and then, of course, not only that, the legal expenses, um, ultimately the entire interpreter cost was paid for, but we were out significant amount of of, uh, uh, of time that you can never get back as well as, as resources. And that's one of the reasons why I set on this path to say I don't want it to happen to anybody else or if there's anything I can do to make it easier and like what you said, I can, we will never be able to know had he gone down the path of what the school district wanted him to do, what he would have ended up being. But what I do know is that in time for me to brag on my son is that this child that was, of course, said could only or most likely would only graduate with a seventh grade uh, reading level, he did go to a, uh, another deaf high school, um, much bigger uh, and out-of-state school, um, where he was class president graduated uh the third of his class he was um and has gotten in accepted into all the colleges that he applied to um he's very smart uh as well above uh his grade level in reading well above a 12th grade reading level and scored the top of his class in math and science and so academically if given the tools they can accomplish so much and wow. that's the key
2: And I agree with you 100%. As I said, Claudia Gordon is the new assistant to President Obama at the White House representing the disability community across the United States. And by the way, that's the reason this show is open captioned, is so that all of my friends across the United States from the deaf community can also hear this show on Voice America. Well, listen, we're going to go to break and then we're going to come back and talk more to Representative Quinn Johnson from the state of Delaware. This is Joyce Bender, America's voice, where disability matters at VoiceAmerica.com. We'll be right back.
0: We all face some economic uncertainty in our life. What makes the difference is how we take command of that and survive. Tune in to Strategies for Financial Survival with host Michael Figueroa. Michael has been up and down the road to success several times and along with his guests will share the skills of survival. By assessing your strengths and skills and applying them to your future, you can make it through tough times regardless of your field. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice counts. Call toll free one eight six six four seven two five seven eight seven one eight six six four seven two fifty seven eighty seven 472-5787. 472 5787 VoiceAmerica.com.
3: If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at one 472 5788 Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender.
2: Hey, welcome back to the show. And you know Representative Quentin Johnson, he's not just a representative from Delaware. Now that I've had him on this show, he's a civil rights leader for all of us, especially people who are deaf, but all young people living with disabilities. And, you know, I just applaud you for what you are doing, uh, Representative Johnson. is so awesome how you are leading the way and have led the way for other parents.
1: Well, thank you so very much.
2: Now, how about daily? How about since all of this happened, what are some of the issues you have to deal with every day having a son who is deaf?
1: Well, some of the things, and and now that uh, he is uh, older, he's become very, very independent. Um, But one of the things that we kind of experienced as he was growing up um, was just the challenges of getting him involved in the community. Um, One was... He wanted to play sports. Um, So ultimately, that meant um, that I ended up uh, having to be his baseball coach and also soccer coach because I had to be there every single practice uh, game to interpret for him. Um, And so I just became involved since I was that individual. I certainly enjoyed it, but but it was something that was, you know, a time commitment, of course, on that part. Camps, you know, for him to go to, say, a soccer camp or some sort of sports camp. You know, in our area, you, you'd sit there and explain that, well, you know, okay, we'd like to sign up our son, he's deaf, um, you know, what do you have? And and they have no knowledge of what to do. Summer camp field trips, sending him, you know, along a summer camp trip to, 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 a, to a museum or something and making the arrangement so that there's an interpreter there. And, you know, all those types of things have just always been um, a challenge, and then just uh because we are a small community uh in where we are in Delaware, is to make sure that he has that peer involvement and more so um was the issue of when he was younger the adult uh role models to to look at um there was a family that moved from the Maryland area, which has a much larger community. Um, and when they moved, they did not understand, you know, where are the deaf doctors, where are the deaf uh, attorneys, you know, where are, where are those individuals? And, and my son's perspective was just the opposite when he heard that. He was like, well, what do you mean there are deaf doctors? I didn't know that that could be something, you know, that, that we could do. So it's been, you know, an eye-opening experience for him to learn just what he can do, which is anything he puts his mind to, which right now he's like a typical uh, teenager getting ready for college. I suspect his decisions will change several times, but he wants to become a veterinarian. Um, And in my view, there's nothing that's going to be able to stop him from being able to accomplish that. And that's a a huge, that in itself, getting that mindset to him and that exposure to him was was probably the biggest challenge uh, over the years.
2: Wow. Well, hey, good luck to him. Wouldn't that be awesome? Um, be. And just as you said, there isn't anything stopping him to being able to do that. No. Well, I know, Representative Johnson, you know about that Bender Leadership Academy in Delaware for high school students with disabilities. As a matter of fact, it was so great that Governor Markell came uh, to the last one. But I wanted to talk to you about this. One of the things I found out years ago is that students with disabilities are so brutally bullied, and as a matter of fact, I have lost some of them to suicide as a result of this. So I wanted to ask you, in the state of Delaware, uh, what could you do to help with that?
1: Sure. Well, one of the things that we did do, uh, and it kind of goes back to, um, you know, when I was young, uh, I was never exposed to. Uh, many individuals that had disabilities. And so one of the first things that we did was create uh, a Disability Awareness Month uh, in Delaware, uh, which is the month of October, and not just naming and just putting it on a calendar. We went further and and got involved with the school districts um, and wanting to get them involved in curriculum, um, getting them involved in what types of things that they could be teaching and showing and, and dealing with. For the, for the sheer purpose of just exposing kids to these, to these issues so that when they look at someone who is deaf, um or autistic or with Down syndrome, that they're not looking at them as different, that they're looking at them as just another child. And as we progress and they get more used to that, that, that is a big difference in regards to what will help bring down certainly some of the bullying. Will eliminate all of it? Absolutely not. Um, but getting involved with the schools, getting the children understanding that they are that everybody has feelings, regardless, and you need to respect those feelings, is something that we we are working with, and and we've seen some tremendous progress in seeing seeing the programs uh, being more inclusive and in having, uh, for example, individuals on the high school cheerleading squad, Uh two of my favorite constituents, young ladies um have been involved in that and and seeing the acceptance um watching um you know when i got my son involved in in soccer seeing how the kids just accepted him uh then also when he was in school um how the the kids um you know brought him in and so it, it's where getting them to understand is it to me is the key
2: and that is so important because you know that can really scar a child. Yes. When they don't feel accepted. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you are all working on that and not surprised since Governor Markell has become the hero and champion of the disability community and is known and talked about everywhere by people in the disability community. So, um, here you are with a deaf son and, and working for such an awesome governor. What is it like for you to work with him?
1: Well, it is it is a great experience to do that because and he, like myself, um, yeah, I've had the personal experience of having a, a child that is deaf, but one of the things that I have when I've talked to parents um, with individuals that have maybe have other disabilities, sadly a lot of our stories were very similar. A lot of the experiences are the same. They're just different pathways, and that's one of the reasons why I was involved. And then, as I've gotten to know our governor more in, in the years, I've been there now five years, and was elected to the House the same as he was elected governor, hearing about his experiences and the fact that he has been very compassionate. You know, he picked this topic uh, when he was elected to be uh, the president of the Governor's Association, um, and that made me extremely proud. Uh, um, because it was not a topic that, uh, was, uh, high on the, the rankings as far as the most notable thing, um, an individual could do for the general society. Um, it wasn't something that often would get the most press, um, coverage. Um, and yet he picked it anyway because he was very passionate about it and, and knew some of the experiences he had encountered. So, it's been an honor and I, and I'm glad that he listens um to myself and others in in our caucus that have this passion uh for helping individuals and uh it's great when you have your uh governor um, behind you because we can certainly do things on our side to pass laws but there's more to it within a state system and and the state itself sort of needs to walk the walk and he's making his administration his his branch of the executive branch you know walk the walk we're helping and working right alongside him of passing laws that we need to do, um, so it's been just a great, great uh, few years for individuals with disabilities in Delaware.
2: Oh, I know. And you know what? This will carry on. His yes. mission will carry on. Um, he, he just has had such an impact uh, in the United States, and we just love him. He's wonderful, um, as is uh, his secretary, Rita Landgraf, another great champion for people with disabilities. I mean, I just think, you know, the governor, all of you, it, it's just wonderful to see the leadership because we know with a 70% unemployment, we know that we need it. So with that, uh, Representative, what do you hope to accomplish while you're in office for people with disabilities?
1: Sure. Well, we, we've done a number of things uh in already and um we've and I'll just review a few of those things to just show what we've done. We've uh worked on the newborn hearing screening process here in Delaware. Uh we've done legislation um for universal design features in uh public buildings, not not public buildings from a standpoint of, you know, the ADA requires all commercial, but this is for housing and making housing more acceptable. We've done the bills regarding children's education. Uh, we obviously have done those regarding the work and uh, in getting individuals employed. And so, really, what we need to do, and what I plan on doing and continuing to working on, is making sure that now that we've got these laws on paper, making sure that they're actually being enacted, making sure that they're being followed through, and making sure that we really are doing what we said we were going to do on paper, because that's the other part of it. We can pass a law, it can look good on paper, but if it's not really being implemented, then it really didn't do anything. And so that's where I'm working, if you want to call it more in the trenches, Um, and also now um, working uh, greatly with our budget uh, committees um, to just see how we can do more um, with the funding issue. For example, uh, every state has been hit hard with the federal sequestration issues, cuts in fundings, our division of Oak Rehab office was one in which it was, of course, cut. So myself uh, and the uh, uh, chair of the uh, our budget committee, we we got together, we discussed it, um, and we, of course, then were able to find additional funds to basically put back in, so that now we can take individuals um, who were on waiting lists off of those waiting lists, and so that's actually going on right now as we speak. That 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 list of waiting is now getting dwindled down, and, and the goal was, of course, to get that there is no waiting list anymore for anybody that can use those services. And so we're just going to keep the fight and keep listening and making sure that uh, people within Delaware um, have a voice, which they desperately need, and then also hope that we can continue the message to other states and that they can utilize some of the things that we've done as a blueprint, much like what the governor is trying to do with his initiative in giving states a blueprint of how Delaware has gotten people to work, made life better, and just overall improved the quality of life.
2: Well, you know what? That is so great. I love the part you said about, you know, not just talking about it, but implementing it, because this is what I talk about all the time. Don't tell me how great I am. Hire someone. Correct. You know, don't talk about, oh, you know, we want to help people with disabilities. Hire them. Mm-hmm. Because if you just have a big convention or whatever it is you have, but you don't really do anything, you know, and what's the point? I mean, that's what I love about Governor Markel. He really followed through with everything, every commitment, every meeting, um, and, and was very forthright in what he wants to do in the state and, and is moving forward. But I love that because this has been one of our problems is that, Everyone talks about it, but we don't need white papers. We need paychecks. Exactly. So, you know, I think that is so great that you're doing that, um, and I commend you for it. Well, you know, when I think about all these great things you're doing um, and uh, the integrity you have for people uh, just in your office or people that are statesmen or women, Obviously, you had a role model that, that had an impact on you. Who, who was that?
1: Well, I, the impact really is, I've gotten to say, is my son. Uh, my son has been my role model, my reason for uh, doing the things that uh, I do. I know that, of course, the things that I do, um, unfortunately, it's kind of like a lag, meaning that it was my bad experiences that, of course, I want to make sure Um, that uh, no one else has to experience it, but knowing that he was the one, you know, I was the parent, but he was the actual child that had to go into this new school, had to go into an environment where he didn't know anybody, had to go into not only an environment where he didn't know anybody, but then an environment where no one spoke his language, um, and then transcend that, that issue. And to me, I looked at that and saying that if my son can do that and accomplish that, then I certainly can accomplish anything on the fight to make it better for all the under, in, other individuals that come behind us. And uh, that's, whenever I look at his accomplishments, it just shows me that uh, I can, of course, continue to, to work and accomplish anything as well.
2: Well, listen, since I've started this show, because I frequently ask this question, mm-hmm. in all of these years you were the first person that ever said your son. mm So how about that?
1: Yeah, I'm proud of him.
2: I can tell. I can tell you're proud of him. Um, And as you said, he's heading off to uh, college, and, uh, you know, we wish him the best, but I have no doubts from everything you've said that with his initiative and his dreams, he will be able to move forward.
1: Absolutely. One One of the things that I often chuckle about is that and mentioned earlier, he was the class president, study body government, um, very involved in his um, uh, making sure his uh, life and what uh, basically uh, advocating for himself. Um, but he has, says he has no interest in politics, and in fact, feels politics is boring. <laughs> uh, but he he certainly understands and appreciates uh, all the things that that go on, and he obviously has advocated for the things for his his fellow student body as well.
2: Yeah, one thing I I wanted to mention when you were talking about, you know, deaf people being integrated into society is that many churches, synagogues, mosques have forgot about deaf people and do not have sign language interpreters. Correct. And I just push this, push this at my church, and now they do have a sign language interpreter. But I always say... If you want people to come to your church, your synagogue, your mosque, or your company, keep in mind that the more people that are deaf or the more accessibility due to a sign language interpreter, the more you will see that increase.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that was a challenge for us as as he was growing up, um, in which it was, you know, going to church was certainly a battle because of the fact that there wasn't any interpreting services. So naturally... You know, it's hard enough on on children to go to church, but ultimately to say you're going to somewhere and you can't obviously even hear what anything that's going on, um, it was just a, a challenge. And so I don't blame him for not wanting to go. It was just an issue, and that's part of a uh, thing. More churches, uh, like you said, pop up uh, is good to see.
2: Well, the U.S. State Department sent me to uh, Panama just this past week because the embassy called them, and they wanted an expert on the employment of people with disabilities. And, boy, third-world country, I mean, they, I feel, feel for people with disabilities it's so far back, they don't even have access. But in this whole area I was in, throughout Panama City, they only had three interpreters. Wow. And um, I had the privilege of going to American University to um, meet with students who are deaf, this one population who's in some partnership with Gallaudet to try to teach how to be sign language interpreters and provide more skills. Um, And let me just tell you, they were so thrilled, so hopeful about the opportunities in the United States. Mm-hmm. But no matter. Do you know it was easier for us to talk to them than the people of Panama, who of course speak Spanish.
1: Wow. But,
2: but you know it was just wonderful, and it was wonderful in how how they have excelled under absolutely adverse situations. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so you know it just really inspired me, it really did. But, but we do need to think about that. Same thing with the doctor. My, uh, the woman that works here in my office, one time when she went to the doctor, they said, hey, your stepmother, we remember she could sign, bring her the next time.
1: Right. So here's and what happens
2: to people are deaf. Do you know how hard it is for us, hearing people, to understand what a doctor is telling you. Now imagine that you are a person who is deaf and you go through that same situation and they don't provide an interpreter.
1: Oh, It's that it's there, and then also when you see the differences, especially in the education system, because oftentimes what the, what is tried to be done is to have multiple students with one interpreter in a class uh, or through the day um, for the entire day, and yet if you go out to any type of program, um, outside of an education system, there's often uh, two interpreters that then split time uh, between one another. Um, and it's, to me, you know, yes, obviously, say, to go to a graduation ceremony. Two interpreters are up there um, for the hour, hour-and-a-half ceremony, whereas, you know, this is their child's education, and you're right. Unless that person has content knowledge of what's going on in that classroom, very challenging for them to be able to keep up and then in addition all the additional um, learning that goes on from the side conversations that of course can't be picked up because the interpreters too too busy just trying to stay up uh, with what's going on so it's funny the differences in which our expectations and what we're allowing to be the case
2: right it really is well Representative Johnson, you already have done so much. It's amazing how much you've accomplished at such a young age. But if you had to tell someone what you would say is your greatest accomplishment, what would that be?
1: My greatest accomplishment? Uh, actually, that's a tough one for me to be able to say because I just feel that uh, um, you know we've we I've gotten a I've got a wall full of laws that have been passed that were all as a result of issues that means that these issues are no longer going to be affecting anybody else in the future, certainly to me that makes me feel good um, about what we've been able to do, um, but I will say that uh, I can't say that I'm completely fulfilled because we still unfortunately have to have these conversations, and so it's not so much what I've accomplished thus far, but what I hope to accomplish, which is actually to make my job and my need for my job obsolete because we're no longer dealing with um, the discrimination, the lack of access, the all the issues that our disability community encounters. That day, if it ever comes, which we're going to fight for, that will be when I figure we've, we've accomplished the most.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. And, and by the way, that includes, really includes employment, which is what, of course, Governor Markell talked about, but, you know, sometimes even in that area, people give terrible advice to yeah. people because I met with someone right at the uh, event that Governor Markell had who's an attorney who told me that um, what they told him at the school was that would be too hard for him. Right. Maybe you should try something else.
1: Right, without giving him the chance to see whether it was or wasn't too hard.
2: Yeah, well, they were wrong because he is an attorney. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing the things that they tell people. Right. Um, And, I mean, you experienced that yourself from what you went through.
1: Absolutely. And
2: I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, that's one thing that I want to make sure that all the listeners understand is that if you hear the word no or hear the word can't, Don't accept it. Continue fighting for what you believe is right. Continue to not allow um, any part of the bureaucracy and or system to build a wall um, that that is felt you're not going to be able to climb. Keep climbing. Don't give up. Ultimately, um, you will get to the top, and ultimately you'll get to the other side, and then ultimately you will have found uh, an advocate. Sometimes it may not mean that you, you don't have the resources um, that 's not really the issue at hand. Just keep finding people that will help work with you because they are out there, um, and there 's a lot. We have just I was sitting here thinking, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of my fellow colleagues, all with personal experiences indi- with individuals with disabilities within their family structure, that are all, of course, working, and yet you know because our personal lives often aren 't out there to that level. You know, people don't know to maybe reach out and understand that When they say "I understand," they they truly do understand because they've lived it as well. I think that's one of the reasons why we've been as ex- successful um, in uh... Delaware for being able to accomplish uh, those things. So never well, give up. For, for,
2: first of all, I want to say thank you so much for being our guest today.
1: It's my honor and privilege, and I want to thank you. For all that you do, I think it's an awesome thing that you have this show um, to be able to talk, make sure that individuals and listeners have access to information and what's going on elsewhere within the country, and to hopefully get uh, inspiration or ideas that they can take back um, to wherever they are um, to continue to improve the lives for all individuals.
2: Well, thank you. And also, I want to tell you, I hope your aspirations continue on in politics. Because you know what? We need people like you. Well,
1: thank you so much. Without people
2: like you, we can't change things. Because you know we're not always at the top of the list, uh, which is why Governor Markell is so awesome. But um, you're one of those champions we need. So we'll be behind you, and you can be sure people with disabilities in Delaware will all be behind you.
1: Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much.
2: Well, we end every show with a quote from someone that has impacted our lives in the United States or throughout the world, and today it just has to be I, King Jordan, first president who was deaf at Gallaudet University. And he said, deaf people can do anything hearing people can do except hear, and isn't that the truth?